5.33 on the Sports Huddle. Let's keep it rolling on a Monday afternoon. Bob Black back with you, 1061 ESPN. Let's get back to more of our talk on Virginia and the stunning, maybe discouraging, certainly heartbreaking defeat that they had um, to NC State on, on Friday night at Scott Stadium. Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch uh, covering the Cavaliers joins us at RTD underscore Mike Barber if you want to follow him on Twitter, which we certainly encourage you to do as well as reading his stories and columns either in the paper or online at richmond.com. Mike, good afternoon. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, better than the Virginia football team. So okay. thanks for asking. Uh, Mike, I can't get past the three penalties at the end of the game. I really can't. I mean, they're just so undisciplined um, in such a critical moment of the game. How do you think they kind of, you know, work through those unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, all of which could have been avoided? Yeah, it's really interesting because when I went to write about uh, the game, you know, you just kind of look back on, on, on some history in the past, and I realized that it was a year ago that they had a string of, penalties against Duke in a loss in Durham, uh, and Tony Elliott described himself as being irate, and he threatened to, to bench guys who got undisciplined penalties. Um, I'll be curious tomorrow when we spend some time with him if he strikes the same tone. They did get better last season uh, as the year went on, but to see it kind of rear its head again, is I think it's alarming uh, more so than a year ago. Right, A year ago, it's year one. You're figuring things out, all of that. Uh, here you are, year two. That that should be behind you, uh, and to see it cost them a ball game, uh, it is. It was pretty stunning. Um, I don't want to pick them apart too much, but but just a little bit. To me, you know. So the first two, uh, they let their emotions get the better of them in both of those cases. One by a veteran player, one by a young player. How about the third one, Mike? I mean, this is a penalty on the blocked uh, on the on the blocked field goal that there's just no way coaches coach to make a play like that. They certainly know the rules. They understand the rules. That's the one that kind of has me scratching my head, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, there's two things about that penalty. One, I do think it, even though it's during the whistle, I think it's a play of emotion. I think you're just trying to get to the ball mm-hmm. and forget exactly what you just said, that everybody's coached that you can't go over the long snapper. That That's not a new rule anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, there was a year or two where it was kind of forgivable because it was new and you had to remember um, it's not a new rule. Uh, these guys who are coming up have been playing with this rule for a long time. So that part of it was shocking. The other thing, though, is if you go back and watch the replay, when James Jackson does leap over the long snapper and block the kick, that's a pretty straight and true kick. I think if he doesn't do that, it's splitting the uprights anyway. Hmm. Um, so there's that. I don't know if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> no. um, but certainly, you know, certainly all three of the penalties were avoidable. Um, and really you take out any one or two of them, and you've got a much better chance to win the game. But, Bobby, it just felt – you know, it's funny. I turned to David Teal, who was sitting next to me in the press box uh, when they were down eight, and I said, you know what? It feels like the most crushing Virginia thing would be to score the touchdown and then not get the two-point conversion. And then they score the touchdown and back themselves up and still get the two-point conversion, and they found a more Virginia way uh, to lose it at the end. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the one that will get kind of lost in the shuffle, the unsportsmanlike conduct on, on Furnish for the headbutt because they had a miraculous catch. Malachi Fields goes up and grabs it in the end zone. So he's probably not in the headline as much as the other two because of that. And, and by the way, just once, I want to, like, sit between your left shoulder and David Teal's right shoulder and listen to you two guys talk during a football game. That would be so fascinating. <laughs> We, we have a lot of great conversations, and uh, most of the time I would say they pertain to the game we're watching. Um, but there have certainly been more than a few times over the years where I've looked over at his computer or he's looked over at mine, and uh, either we've got another game on because our game is decided, or, or in particularly uh, big moments in American politics, we've, we've had some times where we've looked over on each other's screen and said, what do you what are you reading? <laughs> but, but, yeah, the football talk is, is pretty high level. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I, I think it would absolutely be fascinating. From your dealings with the youngster, with Anthony Calandria, and I saw his comments after the game. He, he, he stood up for it, you know, made, made mention, you know, his mistake, all of that. How do you think he reacts and responds um, to that crushing of a way to uh, lose a football game? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's still the guy, right? They've maintained all along that when Tony Musket is healthy, he'll get his job back. Uh, I think Calandria has done some things to maybe alter that thinking. But at the same time, I, I would say this. If, if this is what Anthony Calandria is and the coaches believed that Tony Musket is better, then maybe Tony Musket's got something <laughs> to show us because – that's pretty encouraging. I think Calandria showed something in the way he brought the team back in this game, right? That's the down pass, and then to not get rattled by the penalty that backs up the two-point conversion uh, to the 18-yard line. I mean, that was wild. So I think Anthony Calandria has shown us time and again that you know he can take a lick and, and get back up, and um, you know whether it's a big hit or, or just a down moment, uh, he's a guy who's got some resilience to him. And I think if he gets the crack at Boston College, He's going to show that, and it's going to be an interesting decision. Oh, speaking of decisions, Mike, way to, way to lead me into this. There were the two fourth-down decisions that Tony Elliott made, uh, one to go for it when I know you believe he should not have, and then the second one later in the game when he didn't go for it, kicked the field goal, and you and I both believe he should have gone for it. Um, you know, what What kind of conversation has there been about that, and particularly the second one? Because I thought that was really an opportunity for him to say, all right, boys, we're coming together here. I got confidence in the offense. Even if we don't make it, I got confidence in the defense, and that's how we're going to win this game. And he didn't take that opportunity. Yeah, and I asked him, I don't know, six questions about it in the post game, and, and he defended his thinking and explained everything about it. And uh, Look, hey, it's one of those decisions, both of them, that I think if you're going by the football, you know, rule book, like they got the card for two-point conversions, I understand some of the thinking in, in that scenario. But you've got to look at your team and that particular game. And I thought the first one, uh, fourth and short at midfield, it just wasn't worth it. You know, Brendan Armstrong and NC State's offense, they hadn't done anything. Your defense was feeling good about itself. Keep that going. I mean, I thought if Virginia could have been 0-0 at the half, that would have been – a huge victory for them and would have really gotten inside the head of Brendan Armstrong, Robert and I, you know, what are we doing offensively? I thought to to make it, to give Brendan Armstrong the the possibility of the short field there to me was just a huge mistake. And obviously it didn't work out, but again, going back to David and I, I turned to him and said that at the moment. So you can check with him. This isn't revisionist history. I thought that was a bad decision right from the jump. And then, like you said, 
when you get to fourth and short, yeah, I understand. Tony Elliott told me when I asked him afterward, he said, I wanted points. I wanted to get the points. They were right there for the taking. I, I didn't want to leave the points there. But I, I don't know how many more chances you're going to get. You had some momentum. Your offense is feeling good. If you're trying to win the game, to me, you need the touchdown there. And, and that's your chance to get it. So, I mean, I'll be honest. I hated both of those decisions. I thought it was mismanaged and not understanding your team in that particular moment. And Tony Elliott knows more football than I do, and he knows his team better. But certainly sitting up there, those felt like two moments where if I'm him and I'm reflecting Saturday night, um, you know, sitting around watching the other games, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done either of those. Yeah, no, like I said, I was on the same page with you. Again, particularly the second one, and I use this all the time, and it's an embellishment and an exaggeration. But there's some truth to this. Field goals in the first 58 minutes of the game probably lose you the game. Field goals in the last two minutes of the game can win you a game. But in the first 58, if you can get seven instead of three, you got a better chance to win the game. And I, I just would have, certainly on the second one, would have gone for it. Hey, the Brendan Armstrong thing, how did all that play out? I mean, obviously we know the stats and we know who won the game. But just the, the kind of buzz, the vibe, the whole Brendan Armstrong coming back to Scott Stadium. Yeah, you know, I thought Brendan handled it really well. He, he, he really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, had hugs and Daps from some guys pre-game and post-game. There were some boos and some cheers when he came out of the tunnel. There were some boos and some cheers the first time he took the field. Uh, you know, certainly when UVA was able to pick him off and sack him, you got a little bit more juice from the crowd. I think they were excited to see that happen. Uh, but I thought Brennan handled it well. I think Brennan's handled this season well because regardless of what people down in Raleigh want to tell you, there's not a lot of talent around him offensively. And he's winning games however he can win games. You know, people banged on him for the opener when they beat UConn. They said, well, he hardly threw the ball. He just ran it. It wasn't much of an offense. Okay, but he won the game. <laughs> and I thought that was my takeaway from what he did at Scott Stadium. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, did the kid want to come out and throw for 450 and five touchdowns? Of course. But he did what he needed to do to win the game. And honestly, when they got the ball back with 36 seconds and it's in his hands, you're thinking there's no way he's not going to find a way to get them into field goal range and get this done. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. So I thought he handled it well. I thought the crowd handled it well. I thought that storyline was a lot of fun, and certainly the way things ended for Virginia weren't too much fun. Uh, a couple more from Mike Barber here from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, richmond.com. Uh, Got to find some positives out of all this. Uh, Malik Washington, another great game. I think it's, what, his third straight 100-yard game, if I'm not mistaken. And defensively, it did seem like, you know, they did a pretty good job, I thought, on Brandon Armstrong and maybe made some strides, Mike. Yeah, you and I are locked up on this. I mean, the column I wrote after the game was about how I thought the defense maybe turned the corner with, with what they were able to do, big third-down stops. I thought they did a better job. Bob, of pressuring on third down, of understanding their personnel and bringing pressure from different spots. We saw Cohen King on a blitz from the corner. We saw James Jackson on a blitz from linebacker. We saw Chico Bennett getting pressure off the edge. So I think you saw John Radzinski in those situations trust his guys to dial up the pressure, and it led to some big stops. I was really encouraged by them defensively. And then Malik Washington's just been outstanding. Uh, the story I just filed before I got on here with you is about Malik Washington, how he's undersized and how he wasn't super productive right at Northwestern. I mean, he was a guy who was good for catches. You know, he might get you a first down on third and seven, but these big plays, I don't think he had a catch over 43 yards in four years at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And he's got one in each game of the last three games. He's the first Virginia receiver uh, since Dontavian Wicks. He's only the third all time. It's Jermaine Crowell. 
Dontavian Wicks and Malik Washington to have three straight 100-yard receiving games. So um, he is a big-time playmaker right now, and I don't know if anyone predicted that out of him. Hey, Mike, I'll finish up by looking ahead just a little bit, and at least for the next month or so, would it be fair to say the next two weeks are Virginia's best chances for wins at Boston College? And I'm not taking anything away from William & Mary. You know that. I certainly wouldn't uh, do that as good as they are at the FCS level. And there's another homecoming kind of coming there, of course, with Mike London coming back, but that hopefully they can find a way to taste victory for the first and maybe first and second times of the year. Yeah, I think the best way to say about it is the schedule lets up a little bit, yeah. right? It was brutal to start. The first four games were really tough and really bad matchups. Um, now you've got games that are closer to toss-ups. And I know Virginia fans don't want to hear it, but William & Mary is really good, so that's a toss-up game. Uh, Boston College has struggled, but um, you know they're finding some things offensively. That's a toss-up game. It's going to be so interesting to see what they do at quarterback. Do they stay true to their word and say if Tony Musk gets healthy, he's the guy. Does he get these two mm-hmm. more winnable games, play well and win? Uh, do they stick with Calandria? Chance to build some momentum. But, you know, these guys, regardless of anything else, they need a win. They need a win in that locker room. And uh, certainly they've got some chances coming up. And, and if you let those slip away, uh, you start to worry about where might this season spiral. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you, as always, Mike, and I'm glad you are able to get that story in before you talk to us today, and we look forward to chatting with you again moving forward. We're always trying to hit the deadlines, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bob. Yeah. yeah, thank you. But those moving deadlines in this day and age, uh, obviously. Thank you, Mike. Really, really appreciate that. And, look, I, I'm going to say this also. Um, I, I know the old hard and fasten rule. Guys don't lose starting positions because of injury, but there's an exception to every rule and sometimes a guy just earns the start he, he replaces you it's the old wally pip thing right the whole um you know lost his lost his starting job with the yankees and all, all of that 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 come that comes along you know lugar comes out and replaces him and never never comes out of lineup again calandry has earned another start here no matter how healthy musket is if you ask me i mean you know, 18 of 30, 271 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, he threw the interceptions, sacked a couple times. I don't know if this offensive line or him, you know, had the, the kind of boneheaded play at the end where he let the emotions get the better of him. He rushes for 43 yards. Um, I think he's an exciting player, and I think Tony Elliott needs some excitement right now, and I think Anthony Calandria could be that exciting player. So I would be very disappointed if he's still not a quarterback the next couple of weeks and see what he can do for UVA. Uh, all right, 547. Take our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up. Uh, it's been a pretty rapidly moving Monday edition of the Sports Center. We hope you agree, and we'll finish it up for you next on 1061 ESPN.